0: So if you've got a Bible, you can join me. I'm going to just jump straight into the Bible. We've started a series, and it's called Free at Last. And uh, we've taken that title from a famous Martin Luther King preach where he says, you know, free at last, free at last. I thank God I'm free at last. And every time I say it, I hear the kind of the gospel choir in the background, you know, clapping, free at last. That's beautiful. That's just in my head. I don't need to normally share that. But that's what I hear. And I love that. That is our prayer for you uh, in this series: is that there will come a moment when you will stand up and you'll go, I am now free. I have battled this, but I now know freedom. And that's what we want to see in your life. So um, we've been reading last week. We looked through Galatians 1. We're jumping into chapter 2 today. And I'm going to read from verse 11 through till I finish. (laughs) And uh, so follow along with me. Uh, and this is what it says. It says, Peter came to Antioch. But when Peter came to Antioch, so this is Paul writing. Paul's like the earliest big Christian missionary. He was called the apostle to the Gentiles. Gentiles are anybody who's not Jewish. And he is talking about a time he went to Jerusalem. And he says that Peter came to Antioch and I had to oppose him to his face for what he did was very wrong which is awkward. When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile believers who were not circumcised. But afterwards, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. As a result, other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy. And even Barnabas was led astray by the hypocrisy. Like The, the language is really aggressive. It's really, really emotional. And when I saw that they were not following the truth of the gospel message, I said to Peter in front of all the others, Since you, a Jew by birth, have discarded the Jewish laws and are living like a Gentile, why are you now trying to make Gentiles follow the Jewish traditions? You and I were Jews by birth. We're not sinners like the Gentiles. Yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith. In Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. This was last week's sermon. That the Christianity is Jesus plus nothing. It's not Jesus plus law. It's not Jesus plus that Bible study in the morning. It's not Jesus plus prayer. It's not Jesus plus turning up to church on time. It's Jesus plus nothing. It is all about Jesus. It is all about what He has done. You cannot achieve this by yourself. That's the center of of christianity we just accept what jesus has given to us yeah. is that we're not made by right with god because of what we've done but by our faith in christ for no one will ever be made right by god by obeying the law yeah. right. wow yeah. so um what i want you to realize is that anytime time god prompts you to do something meaningful Anytime God leads you to do something significant, you will always and immediately face opposition. There will always be obstacles. There will always be spiritual resistance every single time. And you can look in the Bible and you will see this again and again and again. Mm -hmm. Adam and Eve had a serpent. Moses had Pharaoh. David was confronted by Goliath. Jesus had herod and the pharisees and judas and the devil and demons and everything else that was bad batman had the joker wherever there is somebody trying to do something good there is always another force which comes and stands against them and so here in this story we have peter and what has happened is he's had this amazing revelation from god that the gospel isn't just for the jews because before that, that was what they thought. They thought that what Jesus did was just for the Jews. And Peter has this revelation that, that actually the gospel was for the world. That what Jesus did affects everybody. And in this revelation as well, he realized that it didn't matter so much the customs. It didn't so ma- matter so much your traditions. What mattered was Jesus. It was Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And so, so Peter decided that he could eat any food which is amazing because, like, I love a bacon sarnie. And and Peter was like, I can now have bacon because I don't have to follow the Jewish customs anymore. I'm freed from the law. And it wasn't that he didn't like the law. It wasn't that he was saying the law was bad. What he was saying was that Jesus is better, that Jesus beats absolutely everything. And he has this moment. And what we start seeing in the early church are loads of people like Greeks and Romans and and other countries that I can't think of off the top of my head, they start turning to Christ and saying, yeah, I believe this too. I want to follow him. I want to know freedom. I want to know life. I want to know love. And as soon as this starts happening, another group of people, this, this Jewish group, started coming to Peter and saying, do you know what? You can't let them just do what they like. Like, I mean, how, how are they going to be protected from sin? Who's going to stop them from messing up and doing all of this bad stuff? We need a law. We need something which is going to protect us from our own sinfulness. And the only way that we know how to do that is the law. And so they were like, so these people need to obey the law. And what started happening was that Peter would act one way with one group. And then he would act a completely different way with another group. He was afraid of criticism, it tells us. And it's, 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 it's fascinating, isn't it, as well? He wasn't afraid of the actual criticism that he got. He was afraid of the potential of criticism. He was afraid that they might criticise him, that they might say something, that they might be thinking something about him. And what I've come to realise in my life is that the fear of criticism is far worse than the criticism itself. You know, the, the idea that somebody might think something actually has as much weight as the moment when they actually say it, with the single difference that I replay it again, and again, and again, and I think about it, and I dwell on it, and I stew on it, and and I let it marinate around me, and what ends up happening is I make that the defining thing in my life. You know, I don't want to be too harsh on Peter in this story, because I genuinely think we all do this. We, We go into moments, we go into meetings, We have these times in our life where we want to step out, and we don't. And it's not even because there is a danger, it's because we're afraid of the potential for a danger. We're afraid of the potential for rejection. And it's like there's two versions of me in the room at any given moment. There's this adult who has dreams, he has ambitions, I want to see God move in amazing ways. And then there's a seven-year-old version of myself who's just afraid that people are going to laugh at me and that they're going to reject me. And, and so I'll, I'll be in a meeting and I won't speak up yeah. because I'm afraid of rejection. It's like the seven-year-old turned up today. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll see a friend and they'll be struggling and I'll know that I could pray for them, but I don't because I'm afraid that they'll say no. I know that, I know that my next-door neighbour... Needs Jesus, and I know that if he has an encounter with Jesus, his entire life will just go from like dark to light, it will go from night to day, it will go from death to light, it will be absolutely different. And the way that I know this is because that's what's happened to me, and I know what he needs. And yet, in that conversation, my mouth suddenly goes dry, my heart starts beating, and I don't say a word. Why? Because I'm afraid of the potential of rejection uh, and they say scientists say that the rejection actually activates the same part of your brain as physical trauma and so when we are rejected it it, it hurts it really does hurt and, and you need to know that when you're rejected that is painful but when we don't make decisions before and, and we we kind of prophesy this pain. What we actually do is we live out the pain again and again and again, and yet with absolutely no fruit, with absolutely no benefit. And we allow it to shape our lives. It's that question, what if, that paralyzes us. Like what, what if they laugh at me? What if they don't like me anymore? What if they think I'm weird? What if, and so we don't even get to the what if, because we've spent too much time thinking of every possible thing that could ever go wrong in our lives. Peter is confronted by Paul in this moment. And Paul, Paul comes to him and he says, he says, you're being a hypocrite. I mean, that's a strong word, hypocrite. The word is taken from the Greek um, Hippocrates and it literally means actor. Wow. It's like you're an actor here. Wow. You believe this and yet you're, you're doing this. You know that this is right and this is what you should be doing, and yet you've put on a mask, you're playing games because you want people to like you, you're pretending that you're something you're not, you've become an actor. And we can do this in our work, we can pretend that we're something we're not, we can do this in our home, we can let other people take the rap for us when things go wrong because we want to keep up appearances. We want people to think that we are the ones who are awesome. We are the ones who have got it all together. And so often we turn up to church on a Sunday morning and it's more about what people see than what's really going on inside of us. We're actors playing a part. You know, maybe if I look like I'm worshipping enough on a Sunday morning, people will think that I've got my life together maybe if i if i don't go down and respond to that message people won't think that i'm broken maybe if i if i if i just do enough to stay comfortable that i can just get through this okay i don't need to worry about what other people are saying i don't need to worry about what other people are thinking and and paul comes right into this and like he just confronts peter in the most brutal way i mean it says he does it publicly In front of absolutely everybody. And honestly, I feel for Peter. I feel for the man. I mean, think about it. Peter literally knew Jesus. He spent time with... Paul didn't. Paul had no time with Jesus. Peter was discipled by him for years. He learned. He made mistakes with the master himself. He he, he had this amazing... He was one of... I mean, he was probably Jesus' favourite. Paul... Wasn't. Paul spent his early ministry murdering Christians, persecuting them, killing them. You know, Peter has been faithful the best that he can every step of the way. He is now the leader in the church. The Catholic Church believed that he was the first Pope. Do you know Peter Jesus says to Peter, You are the rock on which I will build my church. What an amazing thing. And Peter's name literally means the rock. He would have walked around and going, "Do You know what? I am the rock. I am, you know, like, this is me. I'm the one that Jesus said he's going to build his church upon, c'est moi. Look at me. And then Paul comes and confronts him and calls him out in front of everyone. Oh, it'd be a little bit like, imagine I was preaching right now and I said something you disagreed with. And you were like, one second, and you just came up. You took the microphone and just explained to everybody why I'm a hypocrite. <laughs> Could you imagine? It'd be devastating. I'd be like, wow, I'm not sure you're allowed back. <laughs> like, that's, <laughs> that's, that's not okay. Like, just talk to me. Like, tell, I, 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 I want to know, but like, we don't have to do this here, right? Surely. That, that's crazy. That's not fair. That's not right. And yet, Paul, he doesn't care. <laughs> he's like, no, this, is, this matters. This really matters. And he's like, Peter, you need to hear this because you've clearly missed the point. And he says, what you're doing is you're acting one way for one group, you're acting another way for another group. You're being a hypocrite, but it's worse than that. Your hypocrisy is contagious. Because you're wearing a mask, because you're letting your fear define your decisions, nobody else can be free either. Other people are starting to do the same thing. Other people are putting on their masks. Because freedom is contagious, but so is slavery paul's like you need to realize what you're doing doesn't just affect you it affects everybody and then he kind of finishes with the sucker punch he's like you've misunderstood the gospel wow you you haven't got this i know you spent time with jesus that's beautiful you had those wonderful moments where you were sitting around the campfire i didn't get that but what i do know is that it's jesus plus nothing I do know that we don't need to perform for Jesus. I do know that it's not about what I do that's going to make him love me. There's nothing that I can do to make him love me more. He doesn't love me because of me. He loves me because he is love. So I don't earn that. I don't make that. I don't force that. I receive that. He's like, you've got it all the wrong way. You're, you're leading people to live lives that they're going to be defined by their actions. And that's, slavery and the reason you've done this is because you're afraid of opposition you're afraid that somebody is going to say something about you behind your back they're not even saying it peter but i'll tell you what i am (laughs) and i'm going to say it in front of everybody and what this story makes me realize is there's no escape from opposition opposition is coming Conflict is coming your way. If you try to avoid it in one direction, it will just hit you in a different direction. You cannot avoid it. Yeah. I want to avoid it. Yeah. You know, I, when I read the Bible, I pick and choose my favorite verses. I'm like, yeah. You know what? The Lord is my shepherd. He will lay me down by sweet waters. He will bring me a whiskey, and we will listen to country music and put our feet up and watch TV and. And, and, and that's, that's what I want. I, I like those verses. I don't like James. James who says, like, count every single conflict, count every single struggle a blessing. I'm like, you don't know what you're talking about, James. Yeah. Conflict isn't a blessing. That, do you ever just want to slap him in the face? You're like, shut up, that makes no sense. You can't tell me that people talking about me this way is a blessing because it hurts. It, it's hard. It's bad. Uh, Jesus, Jesus doesn't pull the punches either. He's like, in this life you will face trouble. But then he says, take heart, for I have overcome the world. Conflict is coming. There's no way that you can avoid it. You see, the moment you step out, the moment you stand for something, that's the moment you become a target. That's the moment when when actually you start making a difference, that spiritual forces look at you and say, actually, do you know what? I need to do something about that person. The times in your life you should be most concerned are the times when there's no battle, when there's no attack, when there's nothing coming your way, because that means that you're not standing for anything. There is never a battle over an insignificant target. Battles are only fought about things that are significant. That fight, that pressure, that pain that you're experiencing is just a sign that you are important and you matter. The moment you're in the game is the moment you're going to experience a fight. And yet we, we get surprised by this, don't we? Yeah. we? We don't see it coming. We're like, well, I just stepped out in faith, uh, I, I did that thing that God told me and then all of a sudden we get persecution. All of a sudden somebody starts speaking badly about us. Well, I, I didn't know that was going to happen. Maybe it's you. you just made a decision to follow Jesus and you're like, yeah, this is it. I'm going to live my life right now. And then you end up walking straight into the biggest storm of your life. It's not because you did something wrong. It's because you did something right. Yeah. You entered the game. You are now a contender. You weren't created to sit in the stands cheering other people on. You're supposed to be on that pitch. You're supposed to be playing. And that always involves stepping into conflict and stepping into struggle. Freedom from the fight isn't when you no longer have to fight. It's when you're no longer afraid of it. It's when the fear no longer controls you. It's when you're not drawn into things you don't need to be drawn into. It's when you don't avoid things that you should be stepping into. Freedom allows you to fight the way that God intended you to. So I've got um, just a few things I want to share with you which I think are helpful. If you're going through this right now, I I want to bring you some hope. I want to bring you some help. If you're not going through this, you will be going through this. And so still write this down, take some notes, remember this, because I think that this will help you. The first thing I want you to know is that you need to see it through. You need to see it through. So often we get somebody stand against us, fight or flight kicks in, and we're just like, I've just, I just I'm out of here. We start looking for other things and we're like, God, you know, deliver me from this evil. We need to be a people who stand up and say, I'm no longer going to pray that. I'm going to pray that God does something amazing in this fight. I'm going to go, I'm going to chase down dreams. I'm going to fight battles that no one has fought before me because I want to see God move in a new way. We need to learn how to stick in and see it through. I love my small group. My connect group meets every Tuesday night. We've been reading through the book of Hebrews together. We've been looking at this similar situation and they were talking about a story in the Old Testament where the Israelites, they've been freed from slavery. God has done this amazing, uh, amazing miracles to bring them out of slavery from a superpower in Egypt. And they've walked out of Egypt, they've walked and they hit a sea that was in their way and then God parts the sea and they walk through the sea. If you you don't know the story, it's available in Disney. And they will show you everything that you need to know. And they get out into the sea, they go into the wilderness. And God has told them that there's a promised land ahead of them. And he describes it as being filled with milk and honey. And honestly, I don't know what's so attractive about milk and honey, but it sold it for these guys. Like I would have been more like, you know what, could I go to a promised land of burgers and IPA? Or I don't know what yours would be like. Maybe yours would be a promised land of Xbox and sofas or something. But the milk and the honey was clearly attractive to these guys. And they were like, yeah, we're going we're gonna to get there. And they go all the way to the border. And they send some scouts in. And the scouts come back. And they're like, wow, do you know what? Everything God said is true. This, this land is amazing. It, it, yeah, yeah, there's, there's milk. There's like loads of cows. Get all kinds of goat milk, cow milk, cat milk, anything you could want. All varieties of milk are available. And then there's honey. All kinds of honey as well. I think only bees make honey. That joke falls flat there. They said, But there's a problem. The problem is the land is guarded. Before we can step into the land, we have to fight this opposition. And they're like and they're like, they're giants. These guys, they're like way bigger than Daniel, bigger than Nick, like bigger than, bigger than like big giant haystacks from back in the day, like showing my age now. Bigger than big people, like he's like, these guys are huge, they're massive, and we are like grasshoppers in their eyes. We're just like insects, we're bugs, they're gonna catch us and rip our arms and legs off and just toy with us. There is no way we can go into the land. And so before there was even a battle, Before a sword was drawn, before they ever stepped into the promise, they turned away and they walked in the opposite direction. I wonder what are the promises that God has for you that you don't step into because you're afraid of the potential of opposition. I mean, think about it. It doesn't make any sense, does it? God has defeated Egypt. God has parted the seas. Like surely there is nothing that God cannot do. And yet they walk away. But don't we do the same? You know, when I look back, God has provided for my family when we've needed it the most. God has has saved me and rescued me from so many dodgy situations. God God has done so much. In fact, God never did anything else in my life. He has already done more than I will ever deserve. And yet when I enter the battle, why is it that I don't think he's going to show up the next time when he's shown up every single time before? Yeah. what is it that, that, that is in me that every time I'm looking forward, I start thinking about what if what if he doesn't show up this time what if the giants do catch me what if what if people talk about me and they judge me? Paul attacks Peter and it looks like A battle. But what it actually is, is an opportunity for Peter's freedom. Do you have the faith to see what looks like an attack is actually a moment when you could be freed? That actually the battle itself can lead you not to pain, not to suffering, but to another level. Another level of your freedom, another level of your confidence in Christ. I think that so often... The difference between conflict is entirely in our decision based around it. What I mean is like like criticism can lead you to getting worse or to getting better, but you get to decide you know in the same way you could you can give up or you can grow up you, you can you can step down or you can step forwards criticism will make you, or it can break you, but you get to decide. In the same way, compliments, they can encourage you, but they can also make you just comfortable. You know, every, every fight, every battle has an opportunity for you to go in one of two directions, and you get to decide which one you want to take. I'll give you an example of this. I heard uh, some teachers a little while ago talking about their school, and one of the teachers was like, oh, My school is so hard, it's so bad, it's so difficult. These kids, they're just like animals. uh, They're crazy. And then the next teacher, sitting right next to her at exactly the same school, turns around and says, Wow, my school is a battle, but man, there is so much opportunity here. I get to come, I get to invest in these kids, these kids who have got nothing back at home. I get to bring light." I get to bring truth, I get to bring freedom. And, and the way that she was talking about it was completely different. You'd think that they were different kids in different schools. What was the difference? The difference was her attitude. She came in and she believed that she was there for a purpose. She believed that there was a point to that battle. So she wasn't going to run away, she wasn't going to complain, she was going to see it through. We need to become people who learn To see it through. Growth is painful, but so is stagnation. We need to keep going. That's point one, see it through. Point two, because you don't know what God will do. We need to see it through because we don't know what God is going to do. And this is where Paul, I think, really helps us out in this amazing way. He shows Peter why Peter shouldn't be afraid of the conflict, he says, like, you don't need a greater advantage here. You don't need more power. You just need a better understanding of the power that you already had. Mm-hmm. And, he, and he, he, he reads out, well, he doesn't read out, we read out, but he, he gives us this picture of what it means to follow Jesus that I think is so rich and so powerful. Honestly, we could just spend the rest of the time unpacking this, but this is the words that he says. He says, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He says, that's, that's who I am. That's the essence of, of God. And that's how I can be like this in this situation. That's how I get through my battles because it isn't me. I have a new identity. I am now not me. I am now me, but I have Christ in me and I have a new power, and the power that is in me is Christ in me. And so when it comes to the question of what am I capable of, the answer is no longer me. The answer is now Christ in me. That's how we see the battle through. That's how God transforms the situation. Is Christ in me. I hear lots of people talk about the gospel, and they describe it in a way where it's like, Basically, God paid off our debt, and then we get to live our lives. God paid off your debt, and now you can be free to live your life. But honestly, I think that this is insane. That this doesn't make any sense whatsoever to me. Imagine that. Um, imagine that you were a a gambler, and you'd racked up a huge debt. Maybe you have a drug problem as well, and you're you're battling cancer, and you've got your family and your kids, and you're just struggling. And, uh, and if somebody came to you and they said, you know what, I want to help you out. Here's £10,000. I'm going to just pay off all of your debt. Well, that wouldn't be enough, would it? Because you're still struggling with the cancer. You're still battling with your addictions. You're still a mess. You don't just need somebody to set you free from the power of the debt. You need somebody to empower you for a new life. What you really need is the ability to provide for your family properly. This is what Paul is saying happens to us when, when we follow Jesus. He's like, it's not just that, that Jesus takes your sin and he makes you righteous. It's not just that you get to be in Christ. It's that Christ now gets to be in you too. Your debt isn't just forgiven. You now have the very power that God used to raise Christ from death living inside of you. It is completely different. So when God looks at you, he doesn't just see you. He sees Christ in you. That's why he doesn't care about throwing you into difficult situations. That's why he doesn't mind you getting into battles because you're not fighting with your strength. You're fighting with Christ's strength inside of you it is completely different you see you are in christ and so you may feel abandoned but in christ you are loved by god you may feel condemned but in christ you are completely forgiven you may feel dead and lifeless and dry but in christ you have life to the full you may feel like your luck has come to an end but in christ You have every spiritual blessing. You may feel neglected by others, but in Christ you are chosen by God for a purpose. You might feel defeated by your temptations, but in Christ you are more than an overcomer. You might feel like you've made absolutely no difference, but in Christ... You are risen from death. You are seated at the right hand of the Father with Christ. You can feel broken, but in Christ you are made whole. You can feel a sinner, but in Christ you are forgiven. You may feel powerless, But in Christ, you have every power under heaven available to you. In Christ, you're a new creation. In Christ, you have a family. In Christ, you are free forever. You are a partaker in the very nature of Christ. In Christ, you are a beloved child of God. You need to stop misunderstanding who you are and start to realize that you are now in Christ. You have been crucified. Your weakness is gone, not because you are powerful, but because Christ is powerful in you and through you. That's why we're called to live miraculous lives. Not because we can, but because Jesus can't not. Christ is in you, and he is the hope of glory. And there is nothing, nothing, that can stand in between you and what God wants to do through you. Nothing. Except one thing. (laughs) You. Because if you walk away from the battle before it's even started, you never get to experience what God wants to do through you. And you know, we get so lost in this. We think that every battle is in the present, that we're fighting for this moment. But you need to realize that every battle is a battle for your future. Every battle is a battle for who you are meant to be. And when we see this, when we realize this, we recognize that even the hardest fights, even the moments we're called out in public, we're humiliated and humbled. God will use every single one of those to draw you closer to him, to make you more like Christ. And even in that moment of pain, God will make his presence shine. So we have to stick it through because we don't know what God's going to do. And then, we also need to get back up and get ready for round two. Because it doesn't finish in the fight. One of my favourite films is uh, Rocky Balboa. I love Rocky, not just because he does the silly dance, not just because they have that music and it's like, Du, 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 du. Like, I love all of that stuff. It's amazing. But what I love about Rocky is his absolute inability to recognise when he's been beaten. You know what? He'll just get up again and again and again. Adrian! It's, it's, it's beautiful and it's, like, it's so painful to watch. But he's like, it was painful. It was painful to watch me try and do it. But it's like he would just do it again and again and again and again. And he gets up because he realises he doesn't even need to win the fight, he just needs to stay in it. And I want to be real, do you know what, there's moments in life when the battles don't go the way that we want them to. When we pray the cancer doesn't stop and it spreads. When, when we want to see God move in, in an amazing way and we step out in faith and, and hope and purpose and, and it doesn't happen. There's times when um, I've prayed my best prayers and, and God hasn't healed them. He hasn't moved. He hasn't changed the situations. There's, there's going to be times when you do. You make that leap of faith. And you land on your face. When you declare, you know what, God, you are going to persevere in this situation. And it feels like he doesn't. You will get knocked down. You will get hurt. And we need to learn how to get up again. We need to learn how to dust ourselves off. Because this isn't where we're meant to finish. We're not meant to finish in the dust. We're not meant to finish in that moment of shame. We're not meant to finish ridiculed in public. We're not meant to finish broken and defeated. There is more ahead of you. I've been to churches sometimes, and it feels like the vision of the church is a hospital. I want to tell you that your purpose is not to live in a hospital. There is more. You need to get back up and get back into the fight. You need to let it go. You need to dust it off. I love Taylor Swift. I don't love Taylor Swift. I'm not going to lie, but I love. I love that she says to shake it off. I love that. We need to shake it off again and again and again. You can't control what will come against you, but you can control what will stick to you. Don't rehearse it. Don't relive it. Don't go back again and again. Don't think about that perfect thing that you would have said should it happen again in your life. You don't need to do that. You can let it go. And so a lot of the time, the way that we deal with our conflict is just by letting it go. You know, somebody says something about you, you don't even need to respond. By responding, you give it power, you give it life, you can just let it go. Just dust it off, that doesn't need to affect me, that doesn't need to bother me, that doesn't need to become something which I stumble. We need to get back up. We need to fight again because God has more ahead of you. We need to learn to rise again. We need to keep on fighting. If you're battling addiction, don't stop. If you fell off the wagon, get up, get back on. If you've got struggles in your marriage, you don't need to give up. Keep fighting, get back up. There is another round to this battle. You don't need to stop. You don't need to pull out. God has so much more ahead of you. We need to be people who keep on getting up, who keep on fighting. Because we believe that if we do, God is going to do something amazing through us. You know, God's purpose for your life doesn't happen. The moment you give up It's the moment you decide, I'm not ever going to stop. I'm not ever going to quit fighting. It doesn't matter who criticizes me. It doesn't matter who stands against me. I believe that God is going to move in an amazing way. If you're having a bad day, shake it off. Let it go. If you're having a bad week, shake it off. Get back up. You fought the same battle time and time and time again. Well, today is your day. Get back up fight it again because you never know what God is going to do next. Today might well be the very day when God is going to step in and move in power, but you will never know if you don't get back on your feet. Stand up with me.